0: So We are going to talk about Job and depression, um, so we're just going to get, jump right into it. Let me pray first so we can get real serious real fast. That's how I like to do things, right? God, I thank you so much for this space that we can come before you, that we can position ourselves uh, in community in front of you, and God, we can know you and you can know us. God, and I pray that as we dig into scripture, into your word, God, we learn about you and we learn about our place in this relationship with you and the world and fixing the world and all the brokenness. God, I pray that you would reveal things to us that are not even said, um, that you would speak to every heart in this place and that my words would be your words, God, that I wouldn't say the things that you don't have for me and that, it, that everything that you have for me to say would just be delivered by the Holy Spirit into hearts today, God, as you would have it be delivered. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Book of Job. I was probably about 16 and I had to I lived in Michigan and I had to go to Virginia for marching band camp cuz I was drum major and I had to learn how to do it. And I my mom drove me down there cuz I like I do everything last minute. So last minute I was like, "Mom, there's this camp tomorrow. Can you take me? I have to go. It's required and it's the last week of summer, so I have to go." So I went, and then she was like, but you're taking the train back. So I took this 29-hour train ride back, and on this train, 16 years old, I loved Jesus, and I'm like reading my Bible, and I'm like, I'm going to just read my Bible because I have nothing else to do. I'm 16. What do I do? I don't have a phone. Um, and this woman leaned over, and she's like, psst, <laughs> psst. I have a question." And I was like, oh great, I feel like the pastor on the airplane that's like, so what do you do? And then they fall asleep because they don't wanna talk to you or they confess all their sins. So this woman was just, suddenly just started weeping and she was like, I don't get it. Suffering, why do we suffer? I'm so broken, my family is just a mess and started telling me her story. And then she looked at me and she goes, you have a Bible? what about the book of Job? What about what God did to Job? And she got real frustrated. And I was like, I don't think I've ever read Job. (laughs) Like, I don't know. And I was like, so my personality is just to like take it on. I'm like, I can do this. So I roll up my sleeves and I flip to Job and I'm like, I've never marked it. I've never even looked at it. And I read through the entire book of Job with her word by word, and tried my best to explain suffering out of the words that I was reading. And I felt really disoriented, but I just kind of was like, okay, God, speak through me. And I don't know if I helped her or not. I hope that God did, because <laughs> I didn't. Um, but I read through it and tried to understand it, but I knew all about Job, that I was really passionate about Job. Um, and I didn't really understand it at all. So, I recently had a, just a really rough time in my life and hit this just mode of depression. Um, looking back now, I can say that's what it was. It's not clinically diagnosed or anything. Um, but I realized as I sat in my own depression that depression, anxiety, suicide was creeping into the church all across America, and I kept seeing these news feeds of these pastors that were committing suicide. I mean, this was literally last year. And I mean, you've seen it, it's, it's, it's flooding into our pulpits, into our churches. We have to, as a church, grasp this human response to suffering and depression, specifically. It's something that's very difficult and medically has a lot of things that need to be taken care of, Um, but what is our part spiritually when we're suffering in those things? John Walton speaks about the book of Job as God and humanity, like God and humanity's relationship with God. And Job goes through some tremendous suffering, lamenting, and I would dare say, depression or near mild some sort of depression and words that are very similar to words of suicidal tendency. Um, And so when I went through this, I decided I'm going to take on the book of Job and I'm going to do a study. What does this mean for me? What does this mean? Um, The impact and response to suffering through the story of Job Um, the impact on him and what it does to him and his response is just, it's exemplary. Um, It's this rare type of wisdom literature. So you have like the Psalms and the Proverbs that say, if you do this, then this will happen to your life. If the righteous sin, then they will suffer. If they are righteous, then they won't suffer. It's this formulaic type of thing. And Job really takes that very differently, goes into this narrative form with lament and, and these hymns and all kinds of pieces, this dialogue, a discourse, just all the pieces that don't normally fit in wisdom literature. So it's very unique, but it really takes on and challenges a change in worldview at the time. So in the world, when this was written, the Jews were just everywhere. They didn't know where they belonged. They didn't fit anywhere. They didn't—nobody wanted them. God didn't even want them, it felt like. They were wandering everywhere. God didn't want them to belong is where they kind of sat. So this disorientation— it really changed the worldview and God really with the new covenant in Jeremiah, we have the old covenant, then this new covenant. Now the old covenant really has this this emphasis on Whoever your leader is, then all the generation will be. So if your, your king is righteous, then the rest of the generation, the, all the people in the land will be righteous. This was a very communal, like, we sin together, we suffer together, we're righteous together. Now this new covenant and this new worldview was, no, you are responsible for your sin, and you suffer when you sin, which is, I'm going to talk to you about how that's so untrue, and you... Are, are then basically made rich in all the things that are good in life when you're righteous. Um, it, it's this individual responsibility and commitment to God. Um, so Job, when he responds to suffering, it's, it's sort of this dramatic demonstration of what this commitment to God is, even in our suffering Um, He was a real man who really lost everything. Uh, But the book of Job was sort of written as a parable. So we all know that Jesus wrote the parables so that we could get further understanding than what's actually even said there. So we can understand it in context. Um, So it's kind of a story, play type thing. But he's a real man that this really happened to. So we can take real truth and understanding from it. Um, it's, It's this like Old Testament Jewish form of parable though that... It's relatable to any and every man who experiences the mystery of what seems like undeserved suffering. So it's more about undeserved suffering than deserved suffering. So don't stick in that box of, I sinned, so now I suffer. Or, I must have sinned, that's why God's not healing me. That's bad theology, so we won't use that, and we won't go there. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of notes of... Like this retribution principle. Um, so what we see is we have this like narrative bracket. When you read the book, I'm going to try and just give you this brief about what Job is so we don't have to read it all and then I can talk about it. Um, just kind of telling us the beginning, the end, the prologue, epilogue, telling us what it is and then we sort of move into that in the timeline. We move into that that there's sort of these dialogue and discourses between the three friends and this like okay, God, I'm going to tell you this. And God's like, okay, I'm going to tell you this kind of thing. Like these, these pieces of, of discussion uh, and discourse. And then there's like this debate. So this debate in the middle of that lament um, of Job, just why me? Why suffering? God, why are you doing this to me? But I trust you. Um, this idea, it's this, this triangle of retribution um, and if you understand the triangle, this makes it a lot simpler, so I'll try and help you understand if you don't. There's this justice of God, the righteousness of God, and then order of the world. I probably could have given you an image of this, but I'll just use my arms because they're more effective, right? So when you have the the idea is you can pick two and job was this very righteous man who all of a sudden went into lost everything his family everybody died all his property was taken his influence was now taken and he was completely alone complete he was sick he had like these things on his skin and his friends came to him and they were like job you can pick two you're either righteous And the order of the world is good and God is unjust, which we don't want to say. Or God is just and you are righteous and the order of the world is just chaos. Or maybe the order of the world is good and God is good, but you, Job, are sinning and you're hiding it. And so that last one is sort of where I think sometimes we get stuck saying, God must be good. The order of the world must be good. I must be the problem. And God really, really just wraps it up at the end. Is like, no, you spoke poorly about me. Like, hold on, no, God, we talked about Job. And he was like, no, you spoke poorly about me. So what does it look like? What do we do with this? Do we seek forgiveness? I mean, Job tried it. He tried to seek for- forgiveness. But that's this, this triangle. It's just... It's not true, and so this is where the worldview shifts, that this triangle pick two isn't true, we can't understand it that way. Um, Now that you understand it, right? (laughs) Now that you understand it. Um, So when you read the book of Job, you see a lot of that battling back and forth and who's right, who's wrong, How does this work? So this righteousness, God paints this picture of his sovereignty and who he is and in this cosmic order and beyond humanity he's in control. And this is sort of this like mystery of the divine order. So this righteousness, rewarded by righteousness, the wicked suffer for sin. We're kind of like setting that aside right now and God really says, no, I run the universe. I have an order. You don't understand it. I am righteous. Job was righteous. Um, Job was a dear friend of God. And he really defended him constantly, even at the very beginning. There's this picture of Job uh, in his influence. And then all of a sudden, there's this council. So, this council is kind of this made up council that there's the Satan. He's just the adversary. Um, it's not God and Satan meeting in a room and deciding who they're going to make suffer. Don't misinterpret that. But it's this idea that they're discussing like who is good in the world? Does anyone have good intentions? And so the the Satan, the 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 accuser, sort of tries to challenge that and is like, There's nobody good in the world. There's just nobody, God. Nobody actually loves you because that's what humans should do. And God was like, Have you considered my servant Job? He is so righteous. He is so righteous. And so this is sort of why everything gets taken from Job to sort of prove what God said is true about Job. Um, He's a dear friend. He raves about his character. Um, He's unmotivated. He doesn't serve God for anything. In fact, it says that he serves God for nothing. Like, there's no motivation. He just loves God, like, with everything in him somehow. Um, and I think that's a great starting point <laughs> when we're suffering. Like, what's, how's your love for God? Like, let's work on that. And then when you suffer, then you can continue to love God and not, and not try and love God in order for your suffering to go away. That's bad theology. Um, his outstanding character is expressed as this blameless—this is 1-1. Let's start Job 1-1. There was a man in the land of Uz. Okay, so he was not an Israelite. He shouldn't know who God is, okay? But he still responds to God like he was an Israelite, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, I want to focus on this word, fearing God. The Old Testament expression of one who fears God is this appropriate human response to God. Okay, this is in everything that we do when God makes us suffer or— when God allows suffering or when just suffering happens, right? How do we respond to God because is God still in control of the universe of our lives? This appropriate human response to God, this is the one qualifying character of Abraham to be the father of all nations and carry literally the promise of God for all humanity to the nations, and then we end up with Jesus. Okay, so this is a really, really important characteristic that I think we can really focus on fearing God. It's sort of like the New Testament, it's actually identical to the New Testament expression of faith. So when you see faith and you see the fear of God, this isn't like, oh God, I'm so afraid of you, you're going to make me suffer. No, this is so different than that. This is the characteristic that we need to have to respond to God. Okay, so God asks the accuser, Have you considered my servant Job? And to consider is to regard another person as a model of behavior. One might be well advised to imitate. So. When he says, have you considered my servant Job? He's saying, okay, guys, pay attention to what Job does. Because what Job does is what I need you all in humanity as my people to do in response to me. He doesn't even know the, the, the DNA of the Israelites who are God's people. But still, he responds rightly to God. Okay, so this is... This has been said as the most righteous account of any man in the Old Testament. So it's super important. Hope I've convinced you now. Job wrestles with his suffering, and it's considered this indicator of sin by his friends, and, or that God is not righteous, or the order of the world has just gone bonkers, and we can't trust it anymore. But God declares him righteous. I want you to see that suffering is not sin. I feel like we accidentally say that everywhere, often. And when we suffer, it's like, oh, well, you better pull Why is your marriage suffering? Or why are your kids misbehaving? Or why are your friendships falling apart? Okay, yes, there is a responsibility there. But when you suffer, when you have depression, when you just feel like everything in your life is falling apart, yes, check in with God. Like, hey God, we good. But check in with God. Just be with God. Don't hide like you have this big, enormous sin that you can't tell anybody you're suffering. This secrecy. Let's answer the ancient question, why do we suffer? But we don't answer it with the answer to that question because the ancient philosophy answers it with a question. So this, it's explained by this, what is the mystery of the divine order? And what do we need to understand about suffering? So as I wrestled with my own personal brokenness, I ended up in this deep, dark place of grief. Um, It became really unmanageable. And um, my interpersonal relationships were a mess. Um, I was not nice to my husband or my children. Uh, I wasn't doing my assignments, my schoolwork. I wasn't participating very well here. I don't really know what happened. I went through some suffering and then I just fell into this darkness of depression and life stopped. Literally, I put everything away and life stopped. And um, it was really dark, really dark. Uh, And then on top of that, we were going through things (laughs) in the middle of me being my worst self, uh, presented to my hardest struggles. Uh, We at one point, Uh, On birth control, got pregnant. You guys have heard this story, some of you. Uh, So I was pregnant and trying to grapple with that and going, okay, God, like if we were trying to be done, I was trying to have my tubes tied, like we were done. I went in for surgery and they said, but hang on, you got to have a baby first. And um, in the middle of this dark space, I tried to process. It was very difficult. Um, And I. Eventually decided like, okay, yeah, this is great. This is great. We're going to have five children. I can do this. Our car's big enough. Uh, the baby will be born a week before I'm finished with my master's degree. So this is good timing. God, I guess, because you're in control of everything. Um, and then we hit the second trimester, and I went in, and the baby's heart stopped, and I delivered a dead baby. <laughs> Um, that I was confused. Why, God? Like, why in the middle of all this would you give me a child just to take it away? And suddenly what I thought was depression just plunged. And I didn't want to wake up in the morning. Um, I think a lot of us have been there to some degree. And I don't want to discount it uh, the medical condition of it, uh, the the effects of the fluoride in our water, the chemicals in our food, or, or the the lifestyles we live, um, or the, the the circumstances that we're in, um, I never got it diagnosed, but it was pretty obvious, because um, we're really good at the oh I'm okay I'm okay yeah I'm okay I'm okay, um, but there were nights that I would ask my husband like should we call 911 because. I'm literally considering just making my heart stop. If that were possible, I would do it right now because the suffering was so heavy, and I would imagine what it would be like if I could just stop breathing and not wake up in the morning. I mean, these things are so real, and and part of it is a little bit of the postpartum. Depression that stuff is so real and it, it surprises you and you don't know why you don't understand it and then once you realize what it is You don't know what to do with it. You, you don't want to t- I saw many counselors For all the things we were going through and nobody diagnosed me because I just kept saying no no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine I'm fine And I wasn't fine I was borderline suicidal. I was depressed at least a little, at least a little, I didn't, I didn't want to go on. I didn't know how. I just wanted all the pain, this, this grip on my heart. It was like this hand would squeeze my heart all day, every day. It was like a pain, and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand. I just wanted it to stop. I just wanted it to stop, and i would cry out to God. God, why? What What are you doing to me? Make it stop, God. Make it stop. I wanted to understand it, but I realized as I studied Job, that's not our role. We don't have to get it. Understanding how to respond is the thing that matters. There's something about suffering that for some reason it makes us hide it. Depression that makes us lie to our doctor. Suicide that makes us lie to our doctor. Suicidal tendencies. Suffering is the setting of our faith, how we respond. And we can't hide it anymore. There's there's so much about the testimony of what we're going through, and it's not a testimony of, I've overcome my sin. I've overcome my suffering. Now I can talk about it. I talked about it with select people. It was (laughs) quiet-ish. I'm not a very quiet person. The reason we hide it, guys, is this idea, this triangle of retribution. It doesn't work that way. I I just really want you to know if you're suffering, if you're going through anxiety, depression, suicidal tendencies, it's not about sin. There's help. There's help, and and there's spiritual help, and there's, I don't want to say practical, because spiritual help is practical, but it's so much bigger than that. God admired Job. In his suffering, because he was vulnerable, he suffered and he lamented. he modeled this response and and the, the the biggest model that i that I saw that was just like okay god this is this is me, this is what I need to do um, thirteen thirteen job thirteen thirteen says be job says to God, "Be silent before me, so I may speak." He just went to God and said, God, I'm going through it. Can you just listen? I just need to tell somebody. And what is that? What is that for? This is the relationship that Job was like, if something is messed up in my relationship with God, I have to fix it because that's the only thing that's going to get me through this suffering. You've got to hold fast to that relationship to who God is to you. There was a desperate pleading. for for this redemption from God and a resolution to the suffering, but almost this acceptance of, God, you're doing this to me, or whoever's doing this to me, I'm just going to hold fast to who God is. He really expresses it in 1925 through 26. well first he he's like why have I become a burden to you in chapter 7 why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity like god fix this thing to make us whole and then he says for i know for i know that my redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed yet my flesh in my flesh i shall see god this is this this seeing is this desperate knowing In my flesh, I'm not going to wait till eternity to know who God is. I need to know who God is in my suffering. I know that you're out there, God. I know that you love me. He wants to redeem us and he wants resolution. Job's authentic cry to God is is this this rescue. Sometimes we read it as he's blaming God God, you've done this to me. Why have you done this to me? And that's not the response that we need to have to God. When we suffer, I did it. I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? What have I done? Like, okay, I must really need to grow, or I must really have some deep dark sin. I struggled with it, and when I finally, finally, finally got to the place where I said, "God, I'm suffering. Can you just listen?" I would literally, I would sit and look out the back door window. We have this giant door that's basically a giant window, Um, and I would just sit in the window and just look out the window and just weep and go, God, rescue me. God, you, you will hold me. Hold me, God. Listen, this is what I'm going through. This is the suffering. And I would just cry, ugly crying, ugly tears. But I wanted to just see God. I just, I just wanted to know that God was holding me. I didn't need to blame him anymore. And that's sort of that right response that Job's presenting to us. This fear of God. It's, it's sort of this covenant fear. We have this devotion and this loyalty. Once we have that relationship established, then when we suffer, we just are devoted to God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we go through. This intimate relationship of trust and love and, and just respect and reverence for who God is and his created divine order in the world that we don't understand, but, but we still are going to trust God. He's going to carry us through and meet us, on the other, meet us right where we are and carry us to the other side. Job was just in such awe of the creator. There's, there's this, this sort of presentation of like how he created everything, and it sounds like he's blaming God again, but he's going, God, you made everything that's been my outcry. You created the universe. You can help me. I know you can do this, God. Like honoring his created authority of the universe and of my life and the things I go through. When when others suffer, our fear of God in our suffering s- begins to transform their fear of God. It's this, it's sort of this like leapfrog thing that like I, when I can do it, it inspires other to do, others to do it, and it brings strength. There's this community element to this, and this love of God that's, it's, So through suffering, um, the ancient Christian commentary talks about Job like this, through suffering, this love of God, though it's born in fear, and this is the other kind of fear, like you're afraid of what's going to happen in your life, not the respect kind of fear, is transformed by growing into affection. And when we lend ourselves to this response, we allow love into our darkness and our brokenness. And we begin to just see God and love God and, and ele- he'll transform it. That's not up to us. We just continue to look to God, look to God, look to God, right? And this, so this fear of God, this expression of faith, it's this this constant looking to God. It's this earnest, earnest, honest, just turning toward God. And Job really, he just he expresses this pain and this confusion and, and this struggle to break through it. And, and he just desperately is like, God, hear me. Can you hear me? He wants to restore this relationship. And his bold words are basically he's, he's saying, God, I know you're the one who can help me. You alone. My friends have proven that they're not going to help me. But you, God, you will help me and I stand before you, and, and I, I express myself to you, because I know you can help me. And, and that recognition, that's more that fear of God. And he's, he's, he sort of expresses that God is like, God, you're hidden. He does. He says, God, you're hidden. Though you're hidden, he says. He, he wants reconciliation, and his response is really motivated by nothing outside of this relationship, restoring this relationship with God. You are God. And, and he sought God for God, for God himself. Um, he goes into this lament and this pleading, and he's, just, he's pleading for the ear of God. God, listen, withdraw your hand. If your hand is on, withdraw this wrath. Um, and, and he calls to him. This, this is sort of that— That human inclination for relationship and community in the suffering that is not fulfilled by Job's friends. When you read about Job's friends, I used to read it as like, yeah, 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 they said this, yeah. But no, it's in the very end, God really calls them out and we'll talk about that in a second because it's really cool. Um, And he's like, guys, you're, you're saying it all wrong. You're doing injustice to my name. You're really, you're blaspheming me. You're talking so bad about me. And Job's the only one that's actually saying the right things about me. So there's really... It's, it's kind of difficult to go through because you have to kind of read through the like, anger and the suffering and the sarcasm, but to hear it in this suffering and understand Job's perspective, then suddenly we go, oh, I see what Job's saying. He's not angry at God. He's pleading with God. And he's, he's longing for this human connection and this human relationship that we all need in especially our suffering. Um, in 1315, He begs for his ear, though he slay me, I will hope in him. He's kind of blaming God, but he's going, God, if this is what you're doing to me, I trust you. I trust you because I know you're the God of the universe. I know you're the one who can help me. I trust you, and I love you, and I'm just here for this relationship we have. And if that's broken, let's restore it. He just gets close to God. and then he offers repentance, and he says, okay, God, if there's sin, help us find it. I'll, I'll, I'll repent. I don't know what I've done, but help me see it, God. And it's sort of this process that he goes to sort of resolve this triangle retribution, um, but it's centered on relationship and this authentic fear of God. Then this mystery of divine order is completely just honored, um, He asked God to rescue him from the burden of understanding, and he does. And God comes to him, and it sounds like, when you read it wrong, it sounds like God is going, I made the universe. Stop making me try and relieve your suffering. Why do you care so much about who I am in my order? But really, when you really look at it and understand it, he's proclaiming that I have—God is proclaiming, I have authority over creation. And I have authority over your life, and Job kind of steps back and goes, "Oh, I I get it. I see it. I have said something that I don't understand." And then he like does the lamenting and ashes and stuff. But this is this is Job seeing God saying, "Job, don't try and understand the why of your suffering. Just respond to me. I relieve you of the burden to." Have authority over the universe. To have authority over your suffering, your pain. To understanding your suffering. This is a, a. This is this is where everything is relieved. And Job goes, "You're right, God. I don't have any authority. I trust you. Okay, now I give it all to you." That's It's like that final lift and burden release. Um, and this is coming at the very end, chapter 38, 40. Um, and then we're kind of at the end of the book. It's, it's not this hushing. It's not, Job, be quiet. Be quiet and don't talk of me like that. It's, Job, I love you. I've got your back. Look how strong I am, right? Look how mighty I am. Let's read 39. I'm just going to read you this section of when he does this. Uh, chapter 39, verse 26 is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? This is God speaking to Job. Is it your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the, qu- on the cliff he dwells and lodges upon the rocky crag and inaccessible, inaccessible place. From there he spies out food, his eyes. I mean, this is just like he's talking about some pretty like, big things that it's like, I, I, I don't have authority in this space. I really don't. Um, Verse, uh, chapter 41 through 5. Then the Lord said to Job, Will this fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer. Even twice, I will add nothing more. Job hits this place where God's saying, can you do the things of God? And Job's saying, no, I can't do the work of God. I'm going to cover my mouth, and I'm going to let God speak in my suffering, in depression, in anxiety, in brokenness, in the world that we don't understand. Our world, in these chapters, there's this, Order of the universe that God's saying, This is too complex for your finite human mind and function. You're not designed to understand. You're not designed. Humanity is not designed to entirely prevent suffering. Now, there are elements of suffering that we should be activists and like stop children from being put into like sex trading and stuff. Like, we should do things about suffering. But when we suffer, we're not designed to shut it all down. And it's too complex for us to get. And we need to release it and let it go to God. We need to trust in God's wisdom, in his character, in his order. Not understand it. Just trust it. Right? And so why do we suffer? Nobody knows, right? We don't really understand suffering. It's not for us to understand. I I've, I've tried in like bits and pieces in my life and I'm sure we all have a little bit and then I'm like no we just we don't understand that one okay we're not going to talk about it I kind of don't want to talk about it anymore you know here I am talking about it and then Job recognizes it and and he's I I've uttered what I don't understand it's too wonderful for me I don't know this I don't understand it I can't do this so what what do we do with that like we just respond to God and that's great When others suffer, and when we suffer, there's three specific responses. Care, lament, and prayer. Those those rhyme. Cool. Look at that. The bridge. Um, So there's this, we have to care for people. When people are suffering, don't try and make them understand it theologically. You're going to fail. Read Job's word. I have uttered what I do not understand. I want to say that to people when they try and explain my suffering to me. I mean, it's nice to try and—I try and understand everything. So I try and—oh, maybe this is happening. Let's not understand it theologically. Let's not understand it in the order of the world, of the divine order of God. Let's not even try to understand it anymore. Um, Let's just care about people. Job's friends defended God. They— one of them, like, started to defend Job and was like, you are righteous. God's unjust? <gasps> like, it was just like, well, maybe the the order of the world is just, we can't trust it anymore. Mm-mm. Don't do it. Mm-mm. We're not going to understand it that way. They, they, they came to him, and they started in the very beginning, I think it's chapter 2, they started to lament with him and, like, do the, like, oh, we're going to— Jack, and Nashes, and, like, we're going to do the lament process. And then they just, like, abandoned him and then came to give him all this advice and explain the world to him. Suffering. <laughs> They're such great theologians. And then there's one theologian that comes to him, and he's the youngest of them all, and I think it's the fourth one, right? Yeah? See, I should know this because I just studied it. <sighs> um, and he comes, and he's kind of right, and he's just like, we don't understand this. Um, but understanding it—, it this, it's pastoral care, okay? So this care for people who are suffering, and this is something we're all—the priesthood of all believers. You're all in charge of this, and, and we all we call it in the church world pastoral care, where somebody needs like a meal, we take them a meal, and if they need a ride, and we help them with this and that, and pray with them, and we come to hospital visits, and when they have a baby, we celebrate. Yeah, you know, like all of the things that that make people feel like you care about them and that really truly care about them. But in suffering, what do you do when somebody's depressed? How do you help them? Yeah, I'll pray with you. Like, that's kind of a little bit of a scapegoat. Yeah? We just like, oh, here's my excuse. I'll pray with you. Okay. Ooh, I don't understand suffering. Woo, I don't understand that. Um, or we try and defend it. Oh, you, you have to pray. We've been through this, this triangle. doesn't work. Let's not do it. Let's not defend God. Let's not defend the person. Um, what we need to do is understand that suffering doesn't fit. This doesn't fit into this, this triangle in this formula. And redirect these people, me or whoever else is suffering and whoever else is just in the dark place, this dark place of depression. Where was I at my window crying out to God? I didn't want to talk to people. I wanted people to come ask me, are you okay? So that I could say, no. I didn't want them to say, God will hold you in your side. I mean, I wanted them to pray with me. I wanted them to support me. I did. But I wanted to just connect with people, relationship. And in that connection, then I could connect with God. And remember, God cares about me. God designed me for this relationship, and therefore he designed me for this relationship between me and him, where he would ask me, are you okay today, Dawn? Are you okay? And I could say, no, God, I'm not okay. I know you're listening. I'm not okay today. Or I could be okay and then say, Uh-oh, oh, oh, okay, God, I'm not okay now. Now I'm not okay. Not so okay now. We have to be devoted to restoring love, not righteousness. We're not here to fix the sin in people's lives. We're here to fix the perception that God of who God is. And, and restore this understanding that God is about relationships. And we can demonstrate that in relationship. God isn't provoked. God does this beautifully. He's like the only one, the only friend who really does it right. He's not provoked to anger. He's not devastated, though Job's go job Job? Wow, oh, I'm reading, though I'm not reading. Um, he's, he's not devastated, even though Job is— basically saying God you're ruining my whole life you you made the universe and you're ruining my life and why 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 can't you even handle my own suffering he's kind of like throwing these remarks at God and it was against God's own character but he's not devastated by it he still listens he shows up God continually I mean actually in this story there's Job speaks and then God's like oh hey Job I was listening let's talk he shows up just continually and sometimes when you're in depression, you just want people to leave you alone. But, you know, show up, like send them a text or, or, or hug them when you see them and show up. Don't leave them to be isolated even more because what they're suffering in is the darkest isolation there ever was. And then we put them in more isolation because we're like, ooh, they're not okay. Ooh, we're not talk to her. I mean, whoa, we got to connect with people. Show up. Listen. Ask, are you okay? And then hear it. Hear it. And this is what we do at the table, guys. When you go to that reconciliation table and somebody starts pouring out their guts, look them in the eye and listen. This is how God designed it. He told us that Job was the example, and we need to do this, so let's do it, right? And he laments his suffering, and he's just like, oh, woe is me. The lamenting, he eventually goes back to like, okay, God, I trust you, which we've seen. And then God's response is this divine embrace. I'm here. I'm listening. I love you. I lift the burden from you. And he just, he cries out. I mean, chapter 30, verse 20. He sounds really like irritated, like, I cried out to you, God, for help and you didn't listen. And God's like, okay, I'm here listening to you saying I didn't listen. I cried out to the assembly. I cried out in, in weeping. I, I was grieving. I was hoping for good. Verse 27 waiting for light. I experienced this where I cried out to God. It, it felt like He was absent, though He was right there, and I see that now. I, I, I was weeping. I was grieving. I was ugly crying. My backyard and the birds they were cute, okay. this element of rawness in in our lamenting in our suffering, it connects us to this deep, deep form of humanity there 's a deepness that comes out it 's from the depths of who we are that comes out when we speak of our suffering and when we lament our suffering, and that reminds us that we're connected to God that this is the most profound. Dwelling place of God. Uh, the New Testament talks so much about how we replace the temple with us. We are now the temple where God will dwell. And when God dwells with us, and we encounter someone that God dwells with, we encounter God. And and that it, you have to restore the image of God by encountering people and offering them that encounter with God through who you are, through listening. The spirit of God is with you. And and that spirit, there are people in my life that walk in the room and I just feel a big hug from God. A big hug. And they speak and you just like, I love you, God. You are so kind to me. Like you just feel the spirit of God in them and on them. And you feel that they carry God in them. We need to do that for people who are suffering. And when we're suffering, we need to allow that encounter to happen. Jesus modeled lamenting on the cross. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, he's quoting Psalm 22. Um, and Hebrews actually calls it this reverence and obedience. So lament is a right response to God. There is this care as we care for people. And then this lament that sort of bridges the care And the prayer, which we'll get to, which you guys are thinking, opposite of what I'm about to tell you. So that's sweet. Um, Blow your minds. Just kidding. Um, God expected Job to demonstrate this grief. Um, 42.7, he he talks about how his words and commands for him, um, he expected it. He just expected, Job, Job, you should be doing this. This is okay. Let it out. Let it out, right? I say that to my kids when they cry, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, okay, let it out. Let it out, right? It helps him feel better. helps me feel better when God says that to me, and it helped Job feel better when God said to him. Um, Job's longing for God um, as this sovereign God that he expressed, like, you gave me breath. I need you. You could let all the breath out of all of humanity, and we would return to dust. Uh, that's in chapter 27. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast to my righteousness and will not let go. This is that covenant honor to God. Like, God, I, I, you could let the breath out. We'd all turn to dust. But until that time, I'm yours. I don't care what happens to me. God, I'm yours. And it's, it's the thing that lets Job be heard and held on to. Now, there's one other thing about lamenting that I want you to understand. Um, this human, social, psychological design of sort of this lament, like expressing our suffering, and talking about our depression, and though it's like the hardest thing on the planet, when we express it, the social response is compassion. So when somebody's crying on the corner of the street, your natural response is to avoid or (laughs) do the right thing, stop and say, are you okay? I I feel for you right now. I feel like there's some sort of role I take. In this, and and when we stop, it's because we, before we say something, we feel what they're feeling, and it seems unjust. So when someone's crying, it's going. If I were crying right now, oh, that's not right. Okay, are you okay? I want to be asked, are you okay? Am I suffering? So are we doing that for other people? Yes, because that's the natural human response. If we're not, you've like conditioned yourself to like. Be a horrible person, right? Okay, be careful though sometimes. There are times and places for everything. But this, though there's kind of this like space in depression where the loss of meaning of life is gone. Like, why am I even here? Like, why do I even wake up tomorrow? Why do I do this? Like, you have all the answers, but you just continually just throw the why. Like, there's there no meaning. Sure, I should take care of my kids, but what does it even mean? You know, it's really demented and really just not a great space. Um, but that loss of purpose is redeemed in this social space of lamenting and it it gives you the courage to be you to be yourself to declare I exist not I'm okay but I exist Um, there's a study that's done that courage that they say this psychologically courage is the strength to affirms one own existence spite of the fact that life runs toward death and seems to have no purpose this this is a connectivity, this is an awareness, this is a self-knowledge that the study says cannot be simply reduced to this mental practice. This isn't just you have to tell yourself you're gonna be okay. You have to tell yourself you're not okay and then you'll be okay and God's the God of the universe. This isn't just limited to a mental practice. You cannot do this on your own. You can't do it by yourself. Seek God and seek others to declare, guess what? I'm not okay. You're saying, guess what? I exist. That's it. That's the purpose of it. And when you activate this conscious of true, full human existence, that is the space where we begin to heal. There's compassion in this action that we engage with God. We engage with the compassion. We engage with this consensus of human existence. Our own exists in that. And compassion literally means to suffer together. The emotions of that, these feelings, are. That You take on others' feelings. Now, that's kind of a scary place to be, and we need to guard ourselves from taking on that and becoming that. But it's when we take it on, it it motivates us to relieve it. So when you ask someone, you see them crying, you say, oh, that's not right. I have to relieve it. What can I do? Are you OK? What happened? Did someone hurt you? Do you need protection? Can I give you a ride? Do you need a hug? or you just walk up and hug somebody whatever your response is that's your natural response of what you need in your suffering so you're going to offer that to them because that's what you need you identify that and that's what compassion is that's compassion so 4225 job 4225 job sort of is concluding the whole thing saying i had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye Sees you. And suddenly, Job recognizes this word sees is sort of this word for I experience you in the fullness of my life, in the fullness of the darkness of my own suffering. And I really know you. The Hebrew word is Rahim. I'm probably saying it wrong, but I'm trying. Okay, guys. The Hebrew word is Rahim for compassion and mercy. Now, this emotion of mercy and this emotion of compassion is sort of what we're talking about here, but it's this experience of another. It's this—it's actually taken from the name for the womb, the place where we most, in all of humanity, most purely experience human connection. Nothing can come between it. There's no— there's no disruption unless there's a medical condition and then but there's a human connection because you're literally in your mama 's belly, and there's nobody else in there it's just you and your mama, okay this is the compassion of God he's el rahim is one of his names that that when God loves us, he loves us in this womb like setting of I am going to just give you everything you need, the nourishment and the protection. You don't even have to breathe. I'll take care of that through some science. (laughs) When I wanted to stop breathing, I heard God tell me, okay, you don't have to breathe. I got you. I'll hold you in this safe space. And I'll love you and I'll nourish you. It's okay to suffer. It's okay to not be okay. It's unjust because wholeness is the goal. But when you're there, we have to fix the world with compassion, with this womb like love that we're not going to bring other elements in of, oh, yeah, and you hurt me too. And, well, I'm sure you have sin or God's just an evil God. Put it all aside. Recognize that God is the God of the universe, and God cares so deeply about this person. Recognize that this person that is suffering is worth the love of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to deal with that suffering. This, this Old Te- the Old Testament use of this is that it's a gift. It's not earned. And when we go through that healing, then we move on to interceding to prayer. The care, lament, prayer. Job and his friends, it came about after the Lord had spoken. This is the very end of the story. The Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to his friends, my wrath is kindled against you, to his friends, and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right. And my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take yourselves, seven bowls, do this thing, uh, offer a burnt offering, and then my servant Job will pray for you. (laughs) Isn't that so amazing? He will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not have to do to you what needs to be done. And so they did it, and the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job, and when the lord then the lord restored the fortunes of job when he prayed for his friends and then he increased all that he had suffering's not a disqualifier do you hear that when he prayed for him he restored him when the friends tried everything they could do and they were wrong and god called them out and said i have some things to deal with you job's going to pray for you because job knows what's going on, though he is suffering, job's going to pray for you. I will never forget the first like year we were here. I went through again some just crap some sin and some desperate like, God, how do I fix myself <laughs> and trying to trust God with his order, and why are we here if i 'm just this crappy person and One day during our prayer time, somebody raised their hand i i haven't seen her since, but Her request to me was, or to pray to God, was for her drug addiction. She was, however many years old, grandmother, addicted to drugs, and she just kept saying, the shame. I can't even be with my grandchildren because I can't stop doing these drugs. And I just don't know what to do with the shame, the guilt, and the shame. It's so heavy. And in my own brokenness and my own suffering, I prayed with her. And my prayer was as authentic as it's ever been. God, lift the shame, the burden of the the grief and the shame and the guilt and the suffering. Give her strength to be who she's. I want to restore her. And I prayed it so authentically because suddenly I realized God meant it for me. And if he meant it for me, he's got to mean it for you. And this woman sitting in front of me, who I don't think our guilt or shame, Just prayer. Keep your faith to God. This false acceptance of suffering, like, oh, I should have to suffer, and like, I'm not going to pray for you because that's too dark, feeling Um, I just want to pay this It is no place to live. I'm not saying we have to live there, but guys, when I was praying about this sermon, I felt like God was saying to me, "If you live there, stand yourself up. It's time, and come sit at the table with the King and feast on His love and His joy." Live in the spirit; He will restore you. And that effort of praying with others, allowing yourself to be cared with compassion of others, the love of compassion, and lamenting. him today. Cry out to him every day. Find somebody that you can talk to throughout the week and let him love you with his womb of compassion to guard you and protect you and get up from that place of Frost. It's...
1: we can feel so broken that we don't know what to do with ourselves. We don't don't know how to pick up the pieces ourselves. And we forget that Jesus, Jesus died for that. He died so that that could happen. He died so that you could actually be whole, so that you don't have to live broken your entire life. Jesus wants you to be whole so badly. God wants you to be whole so badly that he sent his only son to come to live perfectly, to live blamelessly, and then to suffer on your behalf so that you don't have to carry those things anymore. You know, it's, we've been sharing, we're trying to share our story, a lot of our story, cause you, like she said, it's been a real rough year for us. I mean, last year, this year's already been awesome and I know God's going to do amazing things. And we're going to continue to share that with you. and part of it, we're kind of a little bit nervous about it because we're like, well, we don't want people to think we're just absolutely crazy people, and then they all just like, oh, we can't be a part of that, and I don't, we don't want that, and you're going to think we're more crazy when I, when I talk, but but the reality is, is if we have to be the most broken people on the planet, for you to realize that Jesus loves you just as you are, for you to realize that Jesus meets you in that broken place, and to realize that there's hope no matter what you've done and no matter what you've been through and no matter what you're struggling with or can't navigate through, it, that needs to happen in order for us to be able to lead this church through a place that says, you know what? Brokenness exists, but it doesn't have to stay that way. The cross is there, but we don't have to live there. Then so be it. We want our lives to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. And that's why we're being so vulnerable with this one. That's why we're going to continue to do that. So please, as we leave this place, just remember, your story matters. The the, the your pain matters. I hate that you went through it. I hate that we went through what we went through. I hate that we go through the things that we, that we go through, but it matters and it's, God's going to use it. He's going to pick up all the broken pieces. He's going to breathe life into it and he's going to do something absolutely incredible in our family. He's already been doing it. In this church, he's already been doing it. It's the reconciliation table through everything. God is amazing. Jesus is amazing because he died for you in that place, and he wants wholeness for you. Please do not live in it forever. Please talk to us, and please know that we love you just as you are. We're broken, too, but we know that you, you don't have to live there. So go in peace today. We love you very much. Uh, If there's anything we can do, please, you know, talk to us.